Hello and welcome to the My VA Dayton podcast coming to you from Dayton, Ohio. This is the show where we talk with veterans in the Western Ohio region to share their stories and share what's happening at the Dayton VA Medical Center. I'm Scott Lease, your host with co-host Greg Tucker. And we have with us today a U.S. Navy veteran from West Carrollton, Ohio, Joe Kettering. Joe is a retired terminal manager with Martin Transportation System. He is also a Vietnam veteran and the current commander of the West Carrollton VFW Post 3438. Welcome. Thank you. We're glad to have you here today, Joe. Uh, before we get to know a little bit more about you, we're going to put you to the test. <laughs> That's right. It's time to play Don't Tell Me, I Think I Know That. This is the game where we put our guests to the test of their knowledge of military trivia. It's also a game where our listeners can play along to see if their minds are mired in mounds of military minutiae as ours are. Are you ready to take this challenge, Joe? I'm ready. I think you are, too. So here is your first question. Now, now these questions are tailored specifically to you, especially being a Navy veteran. Uh, your first question is... Uh, many people consider the turtle to be the first American submarine. It saw action in what war? Would it be A, the war between the states, B, the Revolutionary War, C, the Crimean War, or D, the war between the Hatfields and McCoys? I'd say B. B, yes, the Revolutionary War. That is correct. So the turtle was invented by American patriot David Bushnell. It was a very small, it was very small, about eight feet long, uh, six feet high, and three feet long. It uh, could only hold one man and was propelled through the water by a hand crank. It used a screw propeller, uh, the, first, uh, the first ship to do so. It submerged by allowing seawater into the bulge tank and surfaced by pumping the water out using a hand pump. It uh, also carried 200 pounds of lead, which could be released for emergency surfacing. It could stay submerged for 30 minutes and had a top speed of three knots. So now here's your second question. The first U.S. aircraft carrier was named what? Would it be A, the good ship Lollipop, B, the USS Arizona, C, the USS Langley, or D, the Delta Queen? I'd say the USS Langley. That is correct. Originally built as the Collier USS Jupiter in 1911 through 1913, it was converted into the USS Langley CV-1 in 1920 to 22. Uh, with the arrival of bigger and faster aircraft carriers, the USS Langley was once again converted into a new ship. Uh, this time it was converted from an aircraft carrier CV-1 into the seaplane tender USS Langley AV-3 between 1936 and 37. With the outbreak of World War II, the Langley was in the Philippines but was ordered south to aid Australian forces with anti-submarine patrols. Now, here is your third and final question. You're doing great. Two for two so far. Let's see if you can make it three for three. Who keeps the military on track with the official Zulu time? Would it be A, Father Time, B, Timex, C, 
the White House Clock Maintenance Team, or D, the Naval Observatory? That would be the Naval Observatory. That is the correct answer, yes. The U.S. Naval Observatory, otherwise known as USNO, provides a wide range of astronomical data and products and serves as the official source of time for the U.S. Department of Defense and a standard time for the entire United States. Founded in 1830 as the U.S. Navy Depot of Charts and Instruments, USNO is recognized as the world's foremost authority on spatial and temporal reference frames. USNO is headquartered in Washington, D.C. and operates a dark sky observation station near Flagstaff, Arizona. It also has a small detachment activity the alternate master clock facility located at Shriver Space Force Base in Colorado Springs, Colorado. So, Greg, what has Joe won for playing our game today? For answering all those questions correctly, we have a set of four Dayton VA Industrial Strength chip clips designed by NASA's aerospace engineers to keep your chips crisp on your next stellar space journey or wherever you may be traveling in the near future. All compliments of the Dayton VA. We're going to take a quick break now. When we come back, we'll hear more from our veteran guest, Joe Kettering, about his military career and what he's doing today with the VFW. I was in the military. I didn't know that when I left, I was eligible for health care through the VA. I thought you had to be disabled or been wounded. Another vet told me I should check it out. Now I have the care I need at the Dayton VA. Don't wait another day to see how the VA may help you. I'm a vet and it's my VA. Make it your VA today. Call 937-268-6511, extension 2159 to enroll or visit dayton.va.gov. This message is from the U.S. Department of Veterans Affairs. If you're having a tough time or thinking about suicide, you're not alone and there's hope. VA's Veterans Crisis Line has responders who listen and help. Many are veterans or have veteran family members and friends, so they're prepared to address your challenges. Don't wait. Dial 988, then press 1. And we're back with Navy and Vietnam veteran Joe Kettering. So, Joe, tell us, why the Navy? What, what took you down that path? Uh, my dad had a very good friend he was in the Army in World War II with, and he was a Navy recruiter. And he introduced me to this gentleman, and we got along very well. And I actually, what I did was I joined the reserves when I was still in high school, when I was 17 year, or 16 years old. And then after I graduated from high school, I went on active duty in August of that year. And so I went to San Diego for schooling, and then I caught my ship in the Philippines. I had no idea what I'd be doing. They didn't tell you anything back then. Yeah, but so you went in when you were 16. Was that delayed enlistment, or was that, did we actually en enlisted in the Navy at 16? Yes. No, I, it was, I enlisted in the Navy. Then I had schooling to do and boot camp and et cetera, you know, those type of things to go through. So that when I graduated, I was ready to go to school and then uh, where my next duty assignment would be, which happened to be in the Philippines is where my ship was. Okay. And what, what ship was that? 
USS Okanagan, APA 220. All right. And, uh, and what was the job that you ended up getting? I was a personnelman. And uh, I handled the enlisted men's records, leave records, all their personal records. I handled those. And there were like 350 regular troops on board. And then we'd take on the Marines and move them and their equipment. Mm -hmm. And so uh, you were in the Philippines for how long? Well, actually, we were based out of Subic Bay, Philippines. And at the time we were over on a Westpac cruise, which is about eight months, we'd go in and out of the Philippines. And at the time, we didn't know where we were taking the Marines. They never said. Mm -hmm. So we loaded up 1,200 Marines, all their equipment, and we'd move them. Now I know that we took them to Vietnam, but I did not know that at right. the time. I right. didn't find out till later. And then we'd go up and down the Pacific. We've been we to Hong Kong, Japan, you know, Okinawa, all those locations. We we called that was our ports. Taiwan was one. That's what we did for the nine months that we were over there. And so, what what years was this? Had been sixty two and three. Okay, and um, and tell us a little bit about what it was like to support those missions back in, in that Vietnam era? Well, there were some levity points. Uh, one of those was that you didn't tell the Marines to put a piece of fresh bread under their tray to keep their trays on there. <laughs> so it'd be quite a mess. And bumpy seas, yes. Yeah. And then uh, when we hit rough weather, you know, the, uh, the bunks in the, in the hole were seven high. So the guy, if the guy on top got sick, oh yeah, it was progressive. And then we take a fire hose and clean it out. But anyway, it was it was nice. We had a lot of good times. Met some nice people. Have still have some friends that that I communicate with. But it was a uh, it was an experience. The whole Westpac cruise, we'll call it. And the uh, we didn't see a whole lot of action except we could see sniper fire from the jungles when we dropped the Marines off. Mm -hmm. And other than that, we, we just stay out to sea and then come back into the Philippines. Right. Right. So is that where, where you really spent the majority of your time was at sea, not, not a whole lot of yeah. at, at station? Well, it was, I got on board the ship in August of 62. We came back to the States in 63 and we went well the ship was scheduled for dry dock and that was in, going to be in portland oregon which i watched the newscast today and i'm sorry to see what's happened to portland it, mm. it was a beautiful city and we spent uh three months there and i took uh 30 days leave when we got up to portland and went home and about the 27th day i was at home I got a call from my commanding officer, Commander Cortez. He says, I need you back here right away. I said, Commander, I got three days left. He says, do you want to go to Japan for shore duty for a year? I said, I'll see you in the morning. <laughs> yeah. So where in Japan? Yokosuka. Okay. And yeah. what did you do there? I was a personnelman. I handled uh, travel for the Marines and, well, any, any service, really. It was coming, going to Vietnam are coming home from Vietnam. Mm -hmm. I'd book in flights back to the States. So what was your most vivid memory of your experiences uh, while in the Navy, especially if, uh, over 
serving well, 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 serving towards uh, the efforts in Vietnam. Well, it, my I had I took a big responsibility of making sure that the men and women of the service got back to the state safely and as quickly as possible. I know that you know they've been over there and they were ready to go, and I'd book them uh, commercial flights if I could out of of uh, Hong or uh, out of uh, Japan. And then if not, they do uh, mats. I don't know whether you're familiar with mats, military air service. Yeah. yeah. I'd book them on those. Those were, I usually tried to take the Vietnam guys and gals coming back and book them on commercial flights. Mm -hmm. I think they had a little bit more stress than maybe some of the others, maybe not. But I tried to book them on commercial flights so they could get straight through to, the, say, San Francisco or someplace. And that, I took a lot of pride in that. I spent a lot of hours doing it. And they weren't just daylight hours, nighttime hours. And it was a job I was very proud to do. Right. Well, and that, that seems like something that uh, a lot of the service members really appreciate as far as being in a stressful condition and now getting a chance to kind of escape for yes. even just a short period of time to make it back far as to where things were a little bit more where they recognize. Yes. Right there. Uh, besides that, uh, this is kind of going uh, a little sideways, but have you ever, uh, did you ever go back to Asia to visit after your period in the service? No, I never did. I, I always wanted to go back to Japan. I, I, I Japan was a great country back then. I mean, it was really nice. We, well, you want know, can I tell a little story? Absolutely, that's why you're here. Well, when the when the nuclear carriers or subs would come into Yokosuka, the people would protest naturally, and they would line up outside the gates, and they'd take the Marines would sit there with fifty caliber machine guns at the gates to protect the, the base, and they'd take us as being the fledglings and give us an M1 rifle, no shells. Just a bayonet. We weren't allowed to fire anything, so it was kind of, kind of weird. But it it was something that we had to do to do our part for the base. You weren't you weren't even a one bullet Barney. You just, no, you had no, 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 no fire firepower at all. No Barney five stone. <laughs> yeah, it but was, but it was a show of force nonetheless. Yes, it was. That's all it was. Absolutely. Yeah. So, um, you know, a lot of responsibility um, and uh, a lot of dedication. And you've continued that even even years after your military career. Now you are the commander of a VFW post. Uh, tell us a little bit about that. Well, I'm, this is my third or fourth year of being commander at VFW 3438, the River Rats, who we're known as. And it's it's a lot of responsibility. You have a lot of personal different personalities that you have to deal with on a daily basis. And right now, I I lost one of my key people, two of my key people. And fortunately, I got two people to replace them. One is a E nine senior master chief, and he's retired after thirty three years in the navy. He's my chaplain, and his wife, who is an E eight. She is my quartermaster now, my financial person, and she has just done a terrific job. So it, it, there's a lot of responsibility, and then I have responsibility to the VA. Uh, I 
the the one thing that we do we used to do and then covid came in and we couldn't do it we would go out and play bingo and take the the people that were there permanent you know would be there all the time mm-hmm. and we play bingo with them we take wings out and pizzas and everything and a little story i got right now the va approved this i'll say that is that julie at the va yeah she uh, called me and said, you know, it's going to be a little while before we start going back. They, they have taken the mask off now. Right. We don't have to wear the mask. But we buy, the VFW does, out of, out of our charity money. It's called Bud Zero. There's zero alcohol in it. None. Not even a trace. And so Julie stops by every once a month or so and picks up a couple of cases that we purchase for the guys out there. And it's, it's gotten to a point where every day at three o'clock, all the guys are back in their rooms mm-hmm. because they know they're going to get their, their <laughs> work. work. Yeah. Get so, that flavor. Yeah, Absolutely. Just one of the things that we do at our BFW, and we do a lot of other things for the VA. Right. No, I know you do a tremendous amount of work, as as many other VFWs do, yes. uh, supporting uh, the, the different... Um, uh, organizations out at the VA campus here right. in Dayton and, and other um, facilities uh, around the Dayton greater area. Um, the the VFW also does a great job nationally on lobbying for for our veterans, and I know they've done a lot of work for um, lobbying for the PACT Act, for example. Right. Yeah. That that's a big deal, and and the thing is, is trying to get the guys to go out to the VA. For some reason, they they just had this statement about the VA, and <clears throat> it's hard to change their minds. And I talk to them all the time about it. And I, when I have my meetings once a month, we talk about it. Uh, we have guest speakers come in. Mm-hmm. We try and do as much as we can for the veterans, and we, we do a lot. Uh, we have our flag retirement ceremony coming up on the 14th, and Newcomer Funeral Home has agreed to handle this for us. In other words, we used to set out all night with a flame going, retiring the flags, and now newcomers stepped up and said they will do it for us in their crematory. And so we're doing we're doing that. That's That saves us a lot. We couldn't get people to stay up all night burning flags. Right. That's basically what you're doing. Right. But, but you guys still accept the flags. Oh, yes. Uh, and you know, that's that's a question a lot of people have, actually, is I've got this flag that's on my flagpole in my front yard, and now it's tattered or worn, uh, faded, and and how do I get rid of it? Um, so yeah. that's that's one of those places you can actually dispose of, of flags um, yes. is at the VFW, uh, any VFW, I believe. Yes. You don't have to come inside the building if you don't want to. You just come in the front door, and there's a box there. Mm-hmm. You can put the flags in and we'll move them from there yeah let's yeah. go back and talk about the pact act for just a second yeah. you, know, you said you guys uh actually have uh different briefings and so forth and, and keep the veterans up and and try to educate them um do do a lot of people talk uh to you guys now about the pact act a lot of questions about that they they do but it's not a real open subject for some reason they, mm-hmm. they're just not discussing it openly now fred rojas has been to our place and talk to uh-huh. the veterans, but it's not something that they come up and ask you about. Right. It, it's it's, I mean, it's almost like it's a secret. Well, and yeah, and that's that's something that we're coming up against all the time as well. Is that we you know we try to get the word out about the Pact Act that this is 
it's still relatively new. Uh, you know, legislation was right. only passed last fall, uh, and it's uh, only June here that we're talking right now. Uh, that that folks are still not completely aware of what the PACT Act is. That it's the promise to address comprehensive toxins that uh, President Biden saw, uh, signed that legislation back in August of last year, I believe. Yeah. So right. we're coming up close to a year. Uh, but um, a lot of people don't realize that you know if you were uh, if you served in the military if you served in a theater of operations uh, primarily uh, in conjunction with uh, a conflict um, and you were exposed to toxins and you now have a presumptive condition or or maybe not even have the condition but you served in those areas and you and you know you were exposed to toxins. Uh, that uh, we we are highly encouraging everyone to go and get that uh, claim filed uh, because it's 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 well known that if you are a post 9/11 veteran who spent time downrange and you were around the burn pits, for example, you were you were in a theater of operation where you were exposed to toxins. Whether you're stood next to the burn pits or not, that stuff right. was floating around in the air. But this actually this PACT Act actually uh, affects veterans who were in Vietnam uh, because of Agent Orange. Actually, all the way back to Korea for other toxic exposures. Some people who were exposed to uh, nuclear incidents and so forth. All of that information, uh, veterans can find out what theaters of operation and what presumptive conditions uh, are, are qualifying veterans for this uh, expanded health care and expanded benefits of the PACT Act. And you can go to www.va.gov slash PACT, and it has all that information there online to show, hey, here's, here's what qualifies you. Uh, for a claim for the PACT Act. And the, and the really big news is, is that if you have a presumptive condition, if you have lung issues or certain cancers or hypertension, diabetes, et cetera, those are all now considered to be presumptive conditions that if you uh, were in that theater of operation uh, and you had these conditions, it's now presumed that you you acquired that condition by being in that theater of operation through your military service. You don't have to prove that anymore. You don't have to have that proven service-connected uh, disability. Uh, so that that's the huge difference between the PACT Act and other claims that you have to file with the VA, that you, you don't have to show the documentation other than your DD-214 saying that, yes, you were in theater at the time and any medical evidence that shows that you have these conditions. So we encourage everyone to go to uh, va.gov slash PACT uh, to look for that information. You can file a claim right there as well, or you can go to a veteran services office or a regional VBA office, or come out to the Dayton VA uh, or any of the locations, whether it be Dayton, Lima, Middletown, Springfield, or um, Richmond, and they can assist you as well in, in getting information and helping file for that claim. I have to ask you, Joe, and that is the VFW. How did you go about joining the VFW? And Because we had talked about myths. Right. Was there a myth or what no. led you to the Vietnam? No, my, my brother-in-law got out of, he got back from Vietnam in 1968, okay? And he came to live with us for a while till he got straightened out. And in 71, I went with him and joined the VA 
or VFW with him. And I've been a member of West Carrollton VFW since 1971. So it's been over 50 years now that I've been that, at that one location. Wow. So I've been to a couple buildings and we're right on the river. It's a beautiful spot. But yeah, I, I joined in 71 through my brother-in-law and, and he was a Vietnam veteran. And uh, he's since passed, but he's the one that got me into it and been here ever since. So that leads to the question, who can become a member of the VFW? I, I would say that, you know, everyone here is VFW, but not everyone equates that right. to veterans of foreign wars. Right. And I, what you need to, if you want to join a local VFW, take in your DD-214 and any other pertinent paperwork that you think will reflect on your service and let them look at it. And they can make phone calls if they need to check something. We have a list of, people, of items that qualify you, okay? And if you don't have your DD-214, we can send for it. And you, I, you can even try and get it online. But I had, to, uh, I had to send for an addendum to mine because when I got out, they didn't recognize Vietnam on the DD-214. Mm -hmm. So I had to send for mine, and I got it, and... It, I got my ribbons and everything right then. Now, what what I did was I I I try and teach people how to do this and and instruct them on it. And then we have, you have some very good service reps out at the VA, and one of them is uh, the DAV rep. Mm -hmm. She is in, she is great. I've sent several people to her to get their qualifications straightened out because she has a direct contact to Cleveland DAB and Cleveland VFW. And she's helped a lot of people uh, get straightened out because a lot of people don't know that they've got, I didn't know until about you know, three or four months ago, I had to get my DD-214 out and I looked at my addendum that I received showing Vietnam and everything. Well, there's there's probably six or seven more ribbons, campaign ribbons I didn't even know I had. Mm -hmm. Not, you know, it, it was really a shocker. I didn't didn't understand it. I didn't know why all those things were there. But it was things that happened when I was in that weren't visible things out in the open right then. Now they've, they've pretty much caught up. What led you down the VFW officer track? Well, I started out on the House Committee, which is kind of a governing body of what goes on. And then I moved up a little bit each year. I'd move up. And then finally I was senior vice. And then I went. Then I ran for commander, and I won, fortunately. And I've won three or four times now And because I like people. And a lot of, I think most of the people like me most of the time. Sometimes maybe not, but, <laughs> but most of the time they do. And I try and help them. And that's, that's what the basis is, is helping the veterans, whether it's through Scott or someone else. You know, I, I get them in contact with somebody. And we have a member that is uh, now a Warren County uh, service officer. He's one of our members. And he's always told me, anything you need or want, call me. I'll be glad to help you. What do you see the future of the VFW? Well, I'm Vietnam. I'm, I'm one of the ones that are surviving still. Don't know how long it's going to be. But the problem is we can't get new members. And the, the main reason, I think, is they're young marrieds. They're raising their family. They don't have time to devote to they don't, they don't have time to devote to the VFW and I have received probably six or eight new members in the last couple of months which is great but it's hard and there our, our Vietnam people are dying off you know the Koreans are basically gone 
and Vietnam is now the one, the major one, and, and they're dying off. And, right. and I don't see a replacement right now. Well, and, and as you said, these uh, these veterans of post 9-11 are, are younger. They uh, have other obligations and other interests right now that someday they may come down that road. But at the same time, in order to be a member of the VFW, you don't necessarily have to be a, uh, a veteran of foreign war. You can also be an auxiliary member as well, correct? Yes, we have an auxiliary division. And it's uh, it's growing mm-hmm. because we can take people that are not in a combat zone. And I've we just look at the DD-214, and I will tell you this. The IRS says we've been ordered by the IRS before. So they came in and they said, if you can get a former veteran, that does not count against you as far as having a social member or something you can use. It's United States Armed Forces. It doesn't stipulate Army, Navy, it doesn't matter. It's United States Armed Forces. They do not hold that against you as far as your percentage of people that are social members or, right. Right. or members. But even so, uh, if you have a real interest in supporting veterans and the veteran causes and enjoy being around uh, those kinds of people and having those kinds of uh, uh, fraternal um gatherings and so forth. The VFW is a great organization. You don't have to necessarily be the uh, the um, the veteran of a foreign war. You can also be an auxiliary member or social sure. member. But how does someone become a member? Uh, you know, where do they go to uh, join the VFW? Stop in any VFW. Doesn't matter which one. Yeah. And they can look at your, you know, if, it, if you're joining as a, so, or want to be an auxiliary member, if you're Mother, father, grandfather was served in the military in World War II or Korea, whatever. That makes you a person we want because it's the United States. As an auxiliary member. As an auxiliary member, yes. Okay. What would be the benefit of a young person uh, joining the VFW? Okay. Well, we, we are a family organization, and that includes men, women, children. We have events that are open to the public that any non-veteran even can come in and see our organization, possibly be interested in becoming a social member or an auxiliary member. And, and we can pick up a lot of auxiliary members that way. Uh, auxiliaries are the people we need because we need to keep the doors open without the gaming and everything that we have to do to maintain a, a business. And it is a business. It's not just an organization. It's a business. Trust me, I know. And the, the phone calls are you know, quite a few. I don't have a problem with it. And I think most of my officers don't. We, we try and do a picnic or we'll, we'll do a, a dinner. We do dinners that are open yeah. to the public. And you can come in and you're more than welcome to come in and see. We have a member that belongs to a motorcycle club. And of course, when people hear motorcycle club, they think of the bad guys. These guys are great. They pick a child every year and it's a child that probably won't make it through the year. They're, they're that bad. The one little girl they're supporting this year is she has to go to Boston three times a year for treatment. He comes to our meetings and requests funds. We've done it for several years now. We give him $1,200 to support this organization. And it all goes to the parents. That Not a dime of it goes to outside the house. We bought them vans before, you know, to transport their children. And we do a lot of that. And, and it's it's something that we we do Christmas and you know, we donate money at Christmas. We uh, just lost a member, junior lad, 
And his wife, we've kind of adopted her for the next couple months to get her back on her feet and to help her. And we do that every month. We do something like that. And I, in my meetings, I stand up in front of everybody and I say, is there a veteran or a family member of a veteran that needs assistance? Because we have the funds for that. Right. I think that's one of the the most underplayed things about uh, military fraternal organizations, such as the VFW, is the charitable aspect of it. It's the uh, if it's not actually providing funds uh, to support a cause, it's actually going out and physically being there, as you were saying earlier about going out to the to the VA and just playing bingo with the guys yeah. and having a good uh, uh, exchange and opportunity to. Uh, to, to mix and mingle with those veterans and, and let them know that they are, are still cared uh, about. And uh, I think that's one of the, the great things about that particular organization is that you do so much good. It's not just about, oh, I'm a part of this private club. I'm, it's not yeah. about me. It's about here are the good works we do uh, through the VFW. Yes. Terrific. We're going to take another break now. When we come back, we'll hear more from Joe Kettering about his experience with the Dayton VA Medical Center. This is a message from the U.S. Department of Veterans Affairs. If you were exposed to toxic substances while serving in the military, a new law called the PACT Act may make you eligible for additional benefits and care. The PACT Act benefits veterans of the Vietnam era, Gulf War era, and post 9-11 era who were exposed to toxic fumes, burn pits, Agent Orange, radiation, and other environmental hazards. Survivors of toxic exposed veterans and veterans who served in specific countries in Africa, the Middle East, and Southwest Asia are also potentially eligible. Learn more about the PACT Act by going to va.gov pact or by calling 1-800-MY-VA-411. We at VA are here for you, and we're ready to get you the care and benefits you've earned and deserve. I'm Mike Richmond. And we're back with Navy and Vietnam veteran Joe Kettering. So, Joe, tell us a little bit about your personal experience with the Dayton VA. I'm, I, I know that you've been going there for, for quite some time now. Uh, tell us why why is the Dayton VA your your facility of choice? I have doctors, believe it or not that call me at home to check on me. You don't even get that out in public, hardly. But they will call me just to say, make sure I'm doing okay. Is the, everything that we've done for you, is it working? And I have discussions with them. And I see most of my doctors within every three, four months. And I just saw my cardiologist. And in fact, I got another appointment. I got 17 appointments at the VA within the next month and a half. And a lot of these are just checkups, check my pacemaker, you know, check, uh, you know, to make sure I'm doing okay. And they send me machines at home. No, it's, it's, uh, it's just something that's really neat. And that's what I enjoy about it. The, the doctors, the, the one doctor, Dr. Vecchioni, she's a, she's chief surgeon out there. And they've just always done a great job for me. I, I have no bad problems. I've never had a, real bad time in the 12, 14 years I've been out there. It's, everything's gone good. And if it didn't go good, I could bring it up and they would correct it. I will say that. 
And that's the reason I try and get my people that I deal with every day to go out there and at least get signed up, get a doctor mm -hmm. assigned to you. That way you'll, you'll be able to get the benefits that I get or any other veteran would get. And a lot of people just don't understand that. They still get this black list on it, you know, that says yeah. not, not for me. So, so tell us, what do you tell those unenrolled veterans uh, why they should enroll with the VA? You know, it, what, well, what, what is your most compelling argument why they need to seek out those benefits? Well, the one thing is you're, you're, if you're on a lot of medications, okay, due to diabetes, whatever it may be, they will assist you in getting the proper medicines that you need. It's a timely manner. They'll mail them to your house. Uh, there is a charge if you're not on a disability. Then there is a charge, but it's still less than what you would pay out in the street. Mm -hmm. So I, I, that's what I try and get people to do so they can save themselves money. And money's tough right now. And I try and get them to go out there and at least see what's going on. And I'll even meet them out there if, if they want me to. I'll introduce them to the people. Mm -hmm. What I also heard from you is that not only do uh, do you get a lot of feedback from the VA or a lot of hand-holding from the VA, uh, but they also listen to you. That you know you you were talking about how they reach out to you, remind you appointments and so forth. But right, yeah, I I get a letter on every one of my appointments. I get a letter stating date, time, everything. If there's any problems, call. We'll reschedule. Mm -hmm. You know, they're very cooperative. I have, yeah, I, I it's unbelievable. I don't get that kind of cooperation of the public mm -hmm. from doctors. And if I can get these people to at least sign up. They can then they'll see down the road where it was a good deal for them because it really pays off in the long run. And I, the VA, I, I was fortunate to go in when the VA was doing good, uh, as far as what their the the positive things that were happening at the VA. And I still am. I you know I prescriptions. I have a nurse that comes to my house every Wednesday that they've got set up for me. She puts my pills in the containers. It doesn't sound like much, but when you're taking 12, 14 pills a day, absolutely. she comes in and does all that. She checks my blood pressure and all that mm -hmm. every week, every Wednesday she comes in. And it's, they were going to cancel it because it expired. And I called my primary care doctor and I said, I don't want this to cancel if you can do anything for me. Right. And within a week, it was taken care of. You know, it's been renewed and everything's fine. And that's the kind of cooperation I like from the VA. Joe, if I can ask you, and, and this, it, we know you're not an expert at this, but something that you said, and that is that they feel that this is a secret. What is your, what is your impression or your opinion on why they're hesitant? Well, you there's a lot of people that are hesitant about the VA period. And I, that's my job to try and convince people that, Hey, you're, you're missing something if you're not going to the VA and getting this information and, and acting on it. So I try and, and in my meetings and, and, and just out in public, I tell people that what's going on at the VA. I've been there about 15 years now using the VA as my in, main insurance uh, since I retired. And, they they still are hesitant and 
um, I don't know if you're familiar with Brown Hospital. The original yeah. VA was called yes. Brown Hospital, mm -hmm. and it was a disaster back then, but it was just yeah. starting out. Now, they have, I, w I had to go in for tests the other day, and I had to have the dye put in me and everything. I'm allergic to the dye. Yeah. Well, I broke out in hives all over, but that's normal for me when that happens. But I was sitting there, and a gentleman, I was in the oncology area, and the gentleman two chairs over from me said, this is not like Miami Valley. I said, no, it's not. Because right next, you had a reclining chair with heat and vibration. You just stretch over and pulled your TV in front of you, touchscreen TV. It's, they get the most modern, and the same with the dental. They have the most modern, capable people out there. It's unreal. I happen to be fortunate enough to get dental. But the VA is, is so much better than it used to be. And I've been in Kettering. I've been in Sycamore. I've been in Myra Valley. And I wouldn't trade the VA for it. So so what I, I'm hearing, and that is it's, it's still myths. Uh, myths may be also far as with your organization, the VFW. Yes. Because there's people don't know. And they only go by. Uh, as a veteran myself, I know. We listen to what we call scuttlebutt. Yeah. And that is scuttlebutt is not really all what it's cracked up to be. You get bits and pieces, but they're kind of kind of trash talk. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> yeah. No, I I firmly believe in the VA and uh, one of our members is a retired nurse from the VA and she says you should be a spokesman for the VA at some point in time because you so strongly believe in it. And I do, I believe in the VA. They, I had a triple A burst. I don't know whether most people know what that is, but your aorta blows up and burst. And they took me to Kettering Hospital. And, and fortunately they did because the doctor saved my life. I took 22 units of blood and he put me in a coma for 30 days. And then I was taken care of by the VA after that. And they communicated with my doctors and the VA doctors, they communicated back and forth, so all of them knew what was going on with me. And that bill was right about a million dollars when I, by the time I got done. And naturally the government negotiates all that, but, but I was taken care of, I think I had to pay $800 out of this total thing for a year. And the VA covered everything else. I've had, uh, I've got 12 stints, I got a pacemaker, and I've got wraps and filters, and I got a new one in my heart now that filters out blood clots. And it's all VA, and VA paid for every bit of it. And, and they sent me to get this things done. If I didn't get it done there, they sent me out to get it done. So I, I owe the VA a big gratitude. It's the reason I speak for them. And I will talk to all my people about the VA on the positive side. I don't, I don't have any negatives, really. They, they've treated me great. Well, terrific. Well, thanks, Joe, for joining us today. Sure. It's, uh, it's been uh, great to hear your story. We love hearing stories like yours from veterans in the Southwest Ohio region, and I want to thank you again for joining us. Okay, thank you. Our veterans put everything on the line to protect our freedom. We may never be able to repay them for their sacrifice, but we can show them just how much we appreciate all they've done. Every day, hundreds of people just like you volunteer to help our veterans. You can help by simply sharing your time, lending a warm smile, 
a supportive hand, or a sympathetic ear to someone who needs it. Everyone can do something to make our veterans know how much we appreciate their service. What will you do? The Dayton VA changed my life. There was a time I was jobless and homeless, didn't know where to turn for help. I felt like there was no hope for me. Then I learned about the Dayton VA. They helped me find the help I needed to get back on track. I received support, got a job, found a place to live. I got my life back. Don't wait another day to see how the VA may help you. I'm a vet and it's my VA. Make it your VA today. To enroll, call 937-268-6511, extension 5336, or visit dayton.va.gov. This message is from the U.S. Department of Veterans Affairs. Veterans service organizations, often known as VSOs, offer many services for veterans and their families. To learn more, go to va.gov. We want to say thanks again to our special guests for taking time today to share their story. We truly enjoy hearing stories from veterans from across the region and learning more about how they found care through the Dayton VA Medical Center. And as always, we want to thank our listeners for joining us and remind them if they are a veteran and are not enrolled to enroll with the Veterans Health Administration to receive health care benefits through the Dayton VA Medical Center. It's easy and it doesn't cost a thing. You just need to be a veteran. The simplest way to start enrollment is to call our Enrollment and Eligibility Office at 937-268-6511, extension 4105. They can schedule an appointment for you to come to the Dayton campus or help make an appointment at one of the surrounding community-based outpatient clinics located at Springfield, Richmond, Lima, and Middletown. Again, that number is 937 268-6511, extension 4105. Veterans may also enroll by visiting www.choose.va.gov slash health. While there, you can choose from applying online or by phone or by mail. It's just that simple, really. As I said before, it doesn't cost a thing to apply. So what are you waiting for? Call us today or If you know of a veteran who is not enrolled, have them call to start taking advantage of this benefit. If you're a veteran, it's your VA. Sign up today. Join us again for another episode of My VA Dayton with the Dayton VA Medical Center. Our episodes drop the 1st and 15th of each month. I'm Scott Lease with your co-host, Greg Tucker. Thanks again for listening to My VA Dayton.